This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, Chad. How are you? I am doing well. Uh, we're down to less than 20 days left in the school year, which is exciting and hard to believe because it just seems to have flown right by. And uh, I've got some changes coming up in the the future, but uh, that'll be something to talk about at a later date. But things are going well. <laughs> good. Good to hear it. We are, um, I don't know, it seems like almost halfway through May. And yeah, 2018 is flying by and we're about halfway through our... Uh, or almost halfway through our podcast. So this last year, um, I mean, we're on episode 40 now, so mm-hmm. it's just flown by. Yeah, we're getting close. I think the exact halfway point is the season finale of season five, because they're, I think that that is episode yeah. 100 or 101 or something like that. And I think there's 201 episodes total. So mm. uh, yeah, we're getting close. Something that just popped up for me, I've been looking, ever since starting this podcast, I've been looking for a local office trivia, like at a bar or something, and one finally popped up this week. And I'm so excited because it's May 22nd, my friends and I are going to go out, and I'm really hoping to represent the podcast well on the 22nd. (laughs) Maybe we'll find some new uh, audience members through that. Maybe. Maybe I need to make a shirt. Yeah, (laughs) I'd love to do something like that in New York, but none of my friends are as uh, unhealthily obsessed with The Office as I am, so it would be a lone venture, which I'm not sure I want to do, but (laughs) hey, if anyone's in the New York area, hit me up. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Also, with this episode, something to to further blow our minds, Um, we'll be passing 100,000 total downloads of the podcast with this episode. We're only about 1,200 or so away at this point, uh, which is absolutely insane. Thank you all for the support, and please continue to reach out and interact with us. Uh, We we even have somebody interacting with us on Instagram from Singapore. Uh, So, yeah, all over the place. Just reach out, and uh, I hope you enjoy the show. We hope you enjoy the show because we enjoy doing it. Yeah, I really can't wrap my head around 100,000 downloads. That's, like crazy that's really really cool um chad and i kind of started this as just sort of a passion project chad was into podcasting he knew i loved the office um neither of us knew really what kind of uh, audience this would bring chad's other podcast is more movie specific and so it's it's per movie because it changes every week Mm -hmm. um and ours is based on one show so we didn't really know you know what the audience membership would be like if it was going to be more of a consistent audience and it has seemed to be so again thank you all um it's taken off a lot more than we thought and we're both really excited about it and if you want to help us to continue to grow even bigger uh share it with your office loving friends that's a great way to give us a little bit of a boost so right after recording last week's episode uh i looked at my notes and i was like oh no i didn't mention this and oh no i didn't mention this and this too And so I thought we'd just touch up on a couple of things from weight loss, uh, just because they're pretty good discussion points that we just sort of glossed over. Uh, So first up, Phyllis, we're we're seeing a whole new side of Phyllis in this season uh, that started in weight loss after the end of Goodbye Toby. It's uh, 
really interesting to see how her personality has changed just with one event. Yeah, she, um, as we noticed at the end of Goodbye Toby, or as we noted, rather, um, Phyllis caught Angela and Dwight having sex. But what we didn't mention at the beginning of season five is that she's now using that information to blackmail Angela. Um, She's starting to take over more positions with the party planning committee only because Angela knows this information. Sorry, sirens. (laughs) I don't know. I want to say it's surprising to see Phyllis turn like this, but after seeing how Angela has treated her over the past few seasons, I don't think it's that hard to believe at all. Yeah, it's definitely a different look on Phyllis, but it's it's fun to have her have a little bit more oomph, a little bit more depth, even if it's not um, necessarily a really uh, ironically ethical thing to do for our conversation today. <laughs> right. um, it's, it's, it's fun to see her have a little bit more spunk. And another thing we, we I think we mentioned it once, but we didn't dwell on uh, the, the character of Michael Klump. Uh, it's... Michael being, as expected, insensitive to everything, um, including the pictures of the wall that we've seen before, uh, comments about being beautiful on the inside. He has this whole spiel. Uh, Well, first off, let's talk about just a couple of the pictures that were on the wall. There is Elvis. Okay, yeah, he was a little bit of a chubbier guy later in his life. Uh, then he has the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters and Big Mama, who is uh, a man in prosthetics. There's Jabba the Hutt from Star Wars, who is another fictional character from a galaxy far, far away. And then there's a big old potbelly pig. So now at this point, I mean, if you read too much into it, and I wouldn't even call it that, he's comparing people to pigs. Uh, even if he's trying to celebrate fat people, as he claims... Uh, he's not going about it the right way. We saw this with the um, age at the ageism uh, episode a while back. I'm forgetting exactly the name of that episode. Dunder Mifflin Infinity. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because that's when when Ryan comes back and Creed freaks out and dyes his hair black. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, but it's he he has those pictures on the back of the conference room. We actually get I think some of the same ones throughout the uh, series, but he's using popular culture and just the first thing he can think of, like, yeah, he thinks of Elvis and his obvious weight gain and like all of these kind of random, I don't know, just unnecessary images. And yeah, a pig, like if you're going to use images (laughs) to inspire, I mean, don't compare your coworkers to pigs. It's just another Michael, um, trait that isn't very flattering but that we've kind of come to expect the biggest takeaway from that scene for me was when he was talking about how he it's a celebration of fat people that it's about what's inside and so he says the outside of this building is ugly but it's beautiful inside and then he goes and destroys his own case by saying well look at this unappealing fat suit Inside is a handsome, sexy man. So he's just walking all over himself and backtracking on things that he, he's supposed to be celebrating by saying that what he's wearing is unappealing just by nature of it being fat. So, yeah, Michael's not doing a very good job of that with Michael Klump. And then uh, the one other thing I wanted to talk about from last week before we move on to this week is Pam, because she is at college now uh, in New York. 
And Pam, I think, being away from her comfort zone, away from the people that she knows, away from Jim, is kind of going back into her old self. She's a little quiet. Um, I don't think we talked about her going into the wrong class Mm -hmm. um, the other day, or last week, rather. Um, She, in what is presumably her first class of uh, college, of uh, the Pratt Institute, she sits down in the wrong class and the teacher kind of calls her out or no, sorry. The, the, the teacher starts introducing herself and the class and Pam says, Oh, I'm in the wrong class and tries to leave. The teacher says, excuse me, please sit down. And Pam, rather than standing up for herself and saying, Oh, I'm just in the wrong class. Like I'm going to go sits back down <laughs> and sits mm-hmm. and, and misses her first class. And I get that that's an awkward position to be in, but we kind of lose some of the strength I think that Pam had um, gained in Scranton. Right. Her whole season three arc was about gaining her moxie basically and standing up for herself. And that culminated in uh, a company picnic or beach games, beach games, company picnics uh, like next season or something like that. Uh, But beach games. And now that she's away from Dunder Mifflin and away from Jim specifically, Uh, I think it's just sort of retracting back into herself. And we do see a sort of response to that or a development of that in these two episodes today. So going on to Business Ethics, it aired on October 9th of 2008, was directed by Jeffrey Blitz and written by Ryan Coe. Corporate is having Holly give an ethics meeting after an unnamed employee from corporate was fired after practicing questionable ethics, Ryan. It comes out that in this meeting, Meredith has essentially been prostituting herself for goods and paper discounts. A big ethics problem there. Michael and Holly disagree about how to handle the situation. A bit of stress is put on their new friendship. And in the end, corporate ultimately decides that it would be brushed under the rug. Yeah, Michael at the start of the episode says, you know, I'm helping her uh, just because she's a friend. We're friends. And, you know, I'm hoping to merge this friendship into a relationship without her even knowing. And I just can't help but wondering, what what does that look like? Uh, like, what does he think that will be like? Is it all of a sudden they'll just be kissing like they've been doing it every day? Or they just wake up one morning and they're, they're, they're next to each other in bed? Like, what does Michael expect from this? You, you don't just merge. There, there's got to be some sort of conversation from both sides. I've never accidentally fallen into a relationship. <laughs> like, <No. laughs> you know, just, oops, I have a boyfriend. <laughs> like, it's, uh, you know usually a bit more intentional than that. I think what Michael meant was kind of make her realize out of the blue that, oh my goodness, I have feelings for Michael that I just didn't know I was going to have. Um, but not accidentally become her her boyfriend. <laughs> um, although as sneaky as he can be about it, I, the, the sneakier the better, I think, for right. him. And you know, you never would have seen Michael this involved with the meeting prepared by Toby, for example. And it's not like Holly's putting on a seminar that she prepared and created herself. This is still the same generic HR stuff from corporate that Toby would have done. But because it's Holly, he's a lot more hands-on. He's a lot more involved, a lot more invested in making sure it goes over well and letting Holly know that he's there to support her. But things just don't go the way uh, he would like because he wants it to be more entertaining and Holly wants to do her job and stick to the binder. And so Michael... Uh, authorizes things he's not able to authorize, such as an immunity period 
and that's when the 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 can of worms is undone. Yeah, with CSI to Holly here, even just the very beginning of the immunity thing, um, I think Oscar says, oh, yeah, sometimes I take a long lunch. Kelly, I think it is, says, yeah, sometimes I download uh, like pirated music to my computer. And Holly takes pause at that, which, I mean, while it's not technically allowed, and yeah, long lunches you shouldn't be having, she apparently has a very upstanding moral code. I mean, she is in HR, so that makes sense. But even taking a long lunch or having illegal music on your work computer, she just, oh, no, I want to go back and talk about that. I want to, you know, she she was very attentive to even that. And then the big kahuna with Meredith, um, of course, she's not going to let that go. And Michael is just like, oh, wow, what are you going to do? That's crazy. Okay, anyway, <laughs> um, he's just really not wanting to deal with the paperwork really and like the the corporate hassle that this is going to be he, he doesn't see what's so wrong about the whole meredith situation um he he does try to play it off like you mentioned he says well you know what what's right what's wrong that's the things we've been talking about but who's to say really one way or the other uh, i think it's uh, it's pretty clear what meredith is doing is wrong and holly is right to point it out and to challenge it but then michael says well what can you do and then when they meet with Meredith shortly afterwards, he says, oh, this is just a stupid formality. It's not. Holly is attending to her job, which is something that we saw Toby do like hardly ever, mostly because of, he, I, I think, Michael's interference. And knowing that Michael was going to have a say in what Toby was doing if uh, Michael didn't like it. And if Toby was doing it, Michael didn't like it. And so also in this episode, we get Michael asking Holly out, not on a date, although it could look like a date, but it's not. Um, he made that clear. It's um, He's asking Holly out to discuss this marriage situation over lunch. He takes her to a tacky seafood restaurant. Um, she runs to keep it really business, but he kind of starts asking about her personal life and where she grew up. But during this meeting, we get a good look at what Michael thinks of his work and his employees. He says, I don't want my employees to think that their jobs depend on their performance. <laughs> what kind of place is that to call home? And he also says, you have to tolerate a lot when you're part of a family. And, and Holly's quick to tell him, this isn't a family, this is a workplace. And he doesn't really have a retort to that. He's, oh, right. But this is his home. This is his family. Because, I mean, until now, and we're in season five of nine, we don't see his family. We don't see anybody really that he has to go home to uh, with the exception of Jan when he lived with Jan. So this is his family and uh, he doesn't want to lose a member of his family, which is Meredith. It's another example of us seeing how much Michael cares about his coworkers or his employees. Um, and it's noble of him to try and stand up for Meredith and to try and get Holly to see past this. And he even says, let's come up with a way to punish her. And of course, the thing he comes up with as uh, comes up with for punishment is un unenforceable. He says, we can say no sex for six months, but we don't report it. And then he starts going to like a chastity belt and starts getting really detailed and specific. And Holly just dives into her salad and shakes her head because she doesn't want to talk about that. But uh, he he's compassionate about his, his employees and he does want to hold on to them. And uh, at the end of that dinner on their way back, he says that was not a pleasant car ride. He gets 
they get angry with each other a little bit. I think Michael's more angry than Holly. Uh, Holly's just like, I don't know if I can work in an environment where this kind of behavior is tolerated. And so we, we see a little bit of a, a distance starting to grow between Michael and Holly, despite them really sort of knocking out of the park with each other in the last episode and a half when she first appeared in Goodbye Toby. And now it's just a struggle between, well, who's right here? I mean, obviously Holly's doing the right thing, but in regards to what's taking place at Dunder Mifflin, Dunder Mifflin Scranton, what is the right thing to do? And they just disagree. And so after that meeting to, I don't know, bring it to a third party um, to really see what they should do, because they've kind of come to an impasse, Holly and Michael have a phone meeting with Kendall, the HR rep for corporate. He thinks that Meredith actions are in a gray area since she's technically helping out the company. Um, She's getting discounts on paper. And also for herself, she's getting Outback Steakhouse uh, gift certificates, which is just (laughs) extra. (laughs) Um, Yikes. Uh, But Kendall is hesitant to do anything about this because he doesn't feel like they're in a place to turn away discounts. So he insists that Holly go get the signatures um, that she was set out to get from corporate, um, indicating that they finished the ethics training. And that's what they do. She finishes reading from the binder. Everyone signs a piece of paper. And that's sort of it. It's never really talked about. And Meredith, (laughs) I don't know if she continues her um, stake sex but that's uh nothing really is said about it and uh, i guess that's that what this says to me is that corporate is more concerned with holly getting signatures and saying they went through this training rather than actually teaching or enforcing ethics in the workplace as oscar points out uh, most of this conversation from this binder she's been given is about shoplifting from the office and not stealing time, not about actual ethical dilemmas. Uh, Andy brings up the, the notion of would you steal bread in order to feed your family? That is an actual ethical dilemma. You can have backs and backs and forths, pros and cons to that situation. You can introduce caveats. You, it's, it's something that can produce a discussion, whereas don't stand around the water uh, for half an hour throughout the day is just don't waste time in the workplace. That's not ethics. And yet the corporate is just saying, yeah, that doesn't really matter. We just wanted you to say, check it off the list, get signatures, and that's your job. And so it it says a little bit about Dunder Mifflin corporate, I think, in that they're they're more interested in just saving money. It is interesting to see Michael get a bit terse with, with Holly in this episode. He has her leftovers after lunch. They, they rode back in the same car together. He's holding her leftovers. He throws them away. He won't take the elevator with her. Um, she is walking over to the copier to make some copies and he just cuts in line and has nothing to copy. So he takes a picture off the wall and copies that (laughs) he's just being petty. And it's interesting seeing him upset with her, but he just finds her so adorable that it won't last long. But um, Mm -hmm. their first little spat, yeah, I wanted to note that it's the second time today or during this day that he throws away her food because he threw away the lunch she was preparing to eat in order to take her to Cooper's, which is, by the way, another Scranton location that we get to see. 
uh, pretty cool since they use actual locations from the show or from the city. Um, but my favorite of the the little petty things that Michael does is when he takes the pot of coffee with him to his office to avoid pouring yeah. <laughs> a cup. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's something I would do. Like, no, this is my coffee. <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> I mean, you would drink the whole pot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would. Uh, but when she gets in trouble with her boss at corporate with Kendall, um, we do see Michael have a little bit of a change of heart. And he has a, a little bit of an internal debate during a talking head. He says, you know, how do you say somebody... Say to somebody that you care about very deeply, I told you so, without making it worse. Do I say it? Do I make it like a joke, make it funny? Or do I just let it go because it is only going to make things worse? And what he settles on in the talking head is probably the funny thing. But we don't see Michael say, I told you so at any point. We see Holly trying to do what she's been assigned to do by calling everybody back into the conference room to finish this training. And when they're hesitant because it's a quarter to close and they're ready to go home, uh, we see Michael switch on his boss mode, which is something that we haven't really seen since probably Did I Stutter back in season four when he uh, makes everybody leave the office except for Stanley so he can have that talking to with Stanley. And he he says, you know, if you don't get into the conference room right now, I'm going to lose it. And so everybody gathers in and they're able to complete the training. And the whole time, Michael's in the front row, dead center, staring up at her, smiling. And as she's just reading from the binder, she keeps glancing her eyes up and smiling at him, too. So they're they're bonding again, and Holly is grateful for Michael stepping in and allowing her to do her job without any further drama. Your comment about um, what's the right thing to do, how do I tell somebody I told you so respectfully, <laughs> makes me think that Michael and Holly... In, in his pursuit of Holly, um, he is almost growing, if that makes sense. Like, he had the right thought. Like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say I told you so. And then he decides, oh, no, I'll just say it funny. Or he wanted to go slow with Holly. And he's like, I'm just going to be friends with her. I'm just going to, you know, will our relationship to happen. And then he'll go talk to Jim about how great her butt is. And it's like, <laughs> you're so close. You're just... You're almost there. And he's like, he's just almost growing as, as a person. Um, I don't think he is growing um, with Holly, but it's like, he's just so close. He's almost right. Right. Holly is definitely introducing us to a different Michael than we've seen from the past few seasons with him interacting with Carol and with Jan, especially. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Now just a small inconsistency I wanted to point out and maybe I'm misunderstanding things, but Meredith, the person she was sleeping with was the Scranton hammer mill representative. And she says, this has been going on for six years. Now think back to the beginning of season three. There's an episode, the convention where Josh is working at Stanford and he goes to the convention with Josh. And that's the episode where Michael wins over hammer mill. And they say, Hammer Mill was exclusive with Staples prior to Michael making that sale or uh, making the deal so that they could sell Hammer Mill products at Scranton. So uh, we don't point those kind of things out too often, but I just thought it was worth noting that this is one of the, not one of the first, but one of the early inconsistencies in the show, unless I'm just misunderstanding things. No, it sounds right, because why else? Because she said, I wouldn't do it if it wasn't for the discounts on paper. And they weren't selling to Dender Mifflin until that sale. You're right. So interesting. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that, but you're absolutely right. That sounds sounds like an inconsistency. <laughs> <laughs> and also with Meredith, uh, the the moment that 
just sort of makes me like shudder a little bit is when she says, you know, I don't see what's so bad about it. And she says, you know, the steak coupons make me feel good about myself. <laughs> I don't know if it's a woman thing. Is what it's a woman says. thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Just I'll, I'll stay far away from that. <laughs> and I think that's one of the first um, like glances to camera we have from Holly where she's just like, oh, God, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's horrible. <laughs> and Holly does have her first talking head in this episode, too. It's at the very beginning when she's saying uh, she's going to have her own ethics seminar and that it's going to be insane except not really because i'm going to be reading from a binder she's definitely becoming part of the uh fabric of the office pretty quickly um Mm -hmm. as we mentioned in in, uh, our last episode the commentary guys mentioned how easily she was being incorporated into the cast um i think she's such a good fit Mm -hmm. i agree i I like holly a lot and i like michael around holly a lot yeah, yeah, he's he's so good around her. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there are a couple of other things I wanted to mention with this episode with other characters. Jim, uh, in the name of ethics, wants to keep <laughs> Dwight just so accountable for uh, not wasting any office time, any company time. Dwight insists that he absolutely does not waste time. So Jim decides to time him, talking, yawning, anything he's doing that is not actively working. He bugs Dwight so much that consequently Dwight didn't stop working for one second all day. He sneezes with his eyes open. He pees at his desk. All until Jim notices that he's been gone for 19 minutes and 48 seconds. And Jim says, what could you be doing for 19 minutes and 48 seconds? And uh, sure enough, Dwight was downstairs having sex with Angela. Uh, So that's still going on. Jim says, so I assume what you were doing was personal. Jim doesn't know what's going on. I guess you could say you're not completely ethical. And Dwight says, yes, maybe I'm not. And with, with a and, very no- yeah. knowing glance. Yeah, yeah over at the knows. camera. And uh, there's also a moment a little bit earlier in the episode where Dwight sort of confesses to what he's doing uh, to Andy without Andy knowing. It's when Andy introduces that, that ethics question of the stealing of the bread. And Dwight answers the question by saying, you know, it's a trick question. The bread is poisoned. Also, it's not your real family. You've been cuckolded by a stronger, smarter male. And that's exactly what he's doing to Andy with Angela is uh, taking this man's fiance who, I mean, Andy and Angela aren't having sex. We know that. They've, they've told us that. Andy has. And we also know that Dwight and Angela are. So that's exactly what's going on is Andy is being cuckolded. He just doesn't know it yet. Yeah, uh, that's really observant. I hadn't really put that together, but Dwight is the kind of guy that likes to assert his dominance. And like, even if Andy doesn't know that Dwight's asserting his dominance, Dwight wants to make sure that he is anyway. Right. <laughs> um, and I, I, I agree that that's probably what he was doing there. Mm-hmm. Andy's response was, that's not how it works. And Angela just sort of looks away <laughs> because, because she, she catches the hint that Dwight is dropping as well. Uh, because Dwight's, yeah. like, like we said last time, he's proud of it which is gross. Um, and uh, uh, I, I was like filled with rage for that moment after the 19 minutes and 48 seconds when Dwight looks over at Angela and she's straightening her collar and rebuttoning her shirt. She's like, no, stop it. I hate you. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> Any more character moments? Uh, just one little one. In the cold open, Jim and Pam are on the phone and 
Um, Jim says his goodbyes to Pam and says, oh, I'll, I'll tell everyone you said hi. And she says, no, don't. I'm mad at them. They didn't call me and congratulate me on our engagement. Jim says, okay, give them a break because I actually didn't tell them. And then we get a funny moment where Michael like tackles Jim to the ground um, in congratulations. But I'm curious as to why Jim wouldn't tell everyone. I mean, yeah, we get some funny reactions from people. We get like, oh, I thought you were already engaged or, you know, she's not a virgin, stuff like that. But that doesn't seem like a big enough reason not to tell the office. I want to know your thoughts on that. I think that it was just avoiding those reactions. And I also think that maybe he just doesn't see himself as close enough to anybody else in the office at this point to consider them privy to his uh, personal life, especially if Pam's not around to share in that moment with him, you know, um, that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I think he was trying to avoid like moments like being tackled by Michael specifically. Cause you even hear when, when Michael walks into the room and Pam hears, she tries to backpedal and say, Oh no, nothing's no. happening. Hi, Michael, <laughs> we're about to, we're, we're hanging up, whatever. Uh, but, uh, she, she can't stop it. And so I, I, I think it's just that. And, you know, I just work with these people. Yeah. I feel like he'd be more likely to tell individuals. Like if Toby mm-hmm. was still around, maybe he'd, he'd tell Toby cause they were kind of buds. Mm-hmm. He'd tell the people he wanted to tell, maybe not the entire office and a big announcement, but yeah, that makes sense. I had one more character moment that I wanted to mention as well. And it's not like a character growth kind of thing, but you know, uh, Ryan, he, he is called out as being the reason for this ethics seminar happening. Uh, he says, you know, I, I regret what I did, but I love the ride. And he says, as an example, I hooked up with a girl who looked exactly like, and he mentions a contestant from Survivor, uh, season six. Um, and one, that's another reference to Survivor we can add to the checklist, just because when we know Randall Einhorn, who's the director of photography, um, was a... Uh, cameraman on Survivor for a while and I looked this girl up her name is Joanna Ward um, and she looks like she might be of Indian descent so I guess that's just showing that Ryan is into Indians just in general potentially Um, that is assuming we think he's occasionally into Kelly (laughs) (laughs) occasionally being the word there yeah, yeah I, I looked her up as well, just out of curiosity. And mm-hmm. um, regardless of her descent, she's definitely dark-skinned, and he has mentioned that he prefers dark-skinned girls. So mm-hmm. it sticks true, I guess. Yeah. Um, He's got a type. He has a type. And they. Uh, I like that they were um, thoughtful enough with their like references to uh, mm-hmm. to dig that far back. It was cool. Yeah, apparently sleeping with a look-alike from Survivor is something to be proud of. Yeah, he was like, oh, it was a crazy <laughs> ride. And everyone, of course, thinks he's going to say, you remember that girl, Joanna, from Survivor? I slept with her. But no, it was somebody that looked like her, <laughs> like indistinguishable. Like, yeah. you can find that anywhere. That's not a New York thing. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> right. What about funny moments? I know we just mentioned the cold open, but every time right before Michael tackles Jim, uh, Creed says, tall guy got engaged. And Michael says, to be married? <laughs> it's just, it's just, I don't know why it just gets me every time. Yeah, th- uh, that look that Michael gets on his face and how <laughs> emotional he all of a sudden gets and tackles him to the ground. I love that moment. It's so good. He's just so pure. Yeah, he's so happy for them. Um, 
I love Michael and Holly entering the seminar into the conference room with uh, Olivia Newton-John's physical because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, first, you see him reaching around the corner, struggling to push play on the, the CD player. And then they come in and they're dancing and exercising awkwardly for the entire first verse because he didn't have the, the wherewithal to skip forward to the part they were trying to get to, which is the chorus, where they replace the word physical with ethical. And the, the camera goes over to Jim, who is like, oh, yeah, that's why. Because that word sort of fits the <laughs> rhythm of this word. And that's the, the sole reason. I had that written down in Stephanie moment as well, but also because it's sort of a dirty song. <laughs> yeah. And they're talking about ethics in the workplace. And when you listen to the words, it's like, okay, we're out of stuff to talk about. So let's have sex. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just not the most work appropriate song. And they even return to the actual lyrics after they replace it with their own lyrics for a moment. They get yeah. back to, like, uh, I don't remember, it's something about your body. Uh, I want to hear your body talk, something like that. Yeah, yeah. that's it, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it again, as you said, it just doesn't fit, but no. the outfits are great. <laughs> <laughs> I love the moment where they're talking about uh, Ryan, of course, and Kevin says, look, we obviously know it's all Ryan. He's right here. Um, he's not fired. He's hired. And Kevin just has this one joke that he just, <laughs> it hits home every time he just, it's its just a home run every time he says it. And um, he sticks to the joke and he says, ooh, check it out. Hired guy. Get it? Right. Um, of course, playing on his, uh, on his fired guy bit from the fire in season one. So that, that joke's been going strong uh, season two. Yeah, season two. Uh, so that, that's been going on for um, several seasons now, and he's just not quitting. Yeah, and what, what's funny about it and him latching onto it in this in that moment is that it takes away the bite of the joke. Like, the, the, the joke is Ryan set fire to the office. It's not as funny if you say, oh, Ryan got hired in the office. Uh, but because it rhymes, Kevin yeah. thinks it's really funny. He's not, he's not giving it up. Nope. Uh, I, I like when Michael says that when he first discovered YouTube, he didn't work for five days, and he watched Cookie Monster Sings Chocolate Rain 1,000 times. And I do the research, right? Chocolate Rain originally came out in April of 2007, um, and the Cookie Monster version, which I looked that up, it's the original one, as far as I can tell, is still up. And it's nothing special. It's pretty poorly edited, but it came out in October 2008, which is when this episode premiered. So uh, this was pretty recent that Michael watched and discovered YouTube. <laughs> and watched it a thousand times in yeah. less than a month. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's funny, if you go to that video now, most of the comments are related to The Office or Michael Scott. Like uh, 1,000 of those views <laughs> are Michael Scott or stuff like that. It's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, but when, when Holly asks him, you know, what was the dilemma there? Uh, and he says, well, to tell you or not. And he's glad he did because it felt cathartic. <laughs> Again, Michael Scott with the almost right words. <laughs> Those are my favorite. All the way back to Incalculicable from the pilot. I, uh, I think we've both mentioned that we like to watch with the captions on while we're doing um, prep for the podcast. And I love that anytime Michael makes up a word, they spell it out as he has said it with quotes. Right. <laughs> They're like, it's almost right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great scene where Jim is trying to bait Dwight into wasting company time. Of course, by Jim himself wasting company time. 
by talking with Andy about Battlestar Galactica and just listing all of these wrong references just to just to mess with Dwight. And um, Andy, yes, Andy and Jim are sitting behind Dwight and Jim keeps like looking over to Dwight to see if he's getting to him. And Dwight's just crumpling up paper in his hand and, you know, biting his tongue, trying not to say anything. And uh, Jim throws in this whole wrong, you know, sci-fi fantasy Mm -hmm. world. Like it's, it's about, a guy named Gandalf and there are stormtroopers and they're, you know, he's just getting all of the um, fantasy worlds confused and mixed up on purpose just to mess with Dwight. Right. He's talking about Battlestar Galactica, which we know is a show that Dwight likes and he mixes in Star Trek, Star Wars, Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. And Dwight is dying to interject, but uh, he won't because (laughs) he knows that Jim is, he's got him on the clock. (laughs) Uh, he, he even says it's the exact same shot-for-shot shot remake as the first one, which um, Dwight, it just drives him crazy because <laughs> all of the references and misreferencing the original Battlestar, Battlestar Galactica too. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that even Andy at the end of it all says, you know, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> and Jim yeah. doesn't care. <laughs> he knows it's all wrong. He probably like scripted it out so that he, he could make it as wrong as possible. <laughs> um, Meredith... Once Holly points out that, you know, that this whole sleeping with the guy from Hammermill, it's a conflict of interest and an exchange of goods. And Meredith says, no, no, it's an exchange of steak. You ever had sirloin steak, honey? <laughs> That's my favorite part. You ever had sirloin steak? Like, come on, honestly, if you just had sirloin steak, you'd understand this whole situation. <laughs> it all makes sense when you've had sirloin steak. I just, I, I try to put myself in Meredith's shoes and just like, not that I want to imagine what that would be like, but just the exchange, like not even being handed cash, being handed a gift, a gift card to a mediocre steakhouse. I just, oh, like. <laughs> well, imagine Outback I'm done. with this guy <laughs> showing up at once a month and just buying a whole bunch of Outback uh, steakhouse gift certificates. Yeah. Like, what's this guy coming in buying these all the time? So, right. Like, yeah. why does he have them on hand if he's not? <laughs> it's just a whole lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> Any other funny moments for you? A small one. Kelly, Kelly says, says, you know, if I want to take a break once an hour, I'll just take up smoking. I don't care. And Meredith says, yeah, I'll join you. I already have cigars in my purse. Um. <laughs> So that small moment. And then I, I like how everybody at the end, very end of the episode, is the last thing we see. Uh, it's funny that you referred to it earlier as uh, steak sex certificates or something like that. And I actually <laughs> yeah. called it here eating sex steak slash ribs at the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Confused about why steak is involved, but everybody's grateful nonetheless. And Mary yeah. says, oh, you know, I, I've got steak sauce somewhere in my minivan. And she leaves to go get some. And I am not sure I would want any of that. <laughs> Count me out. <laughs> I think one last small, uh, small funny moment for me is just one of my favorite quotes from The Office that is made into a pretty usable um, gif or gif, depending on your preference. Uh, Dwight swears he has never stolen company time. Michael says, you are a thief. You're a thief of joy. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty usable internet nugget. Now, as far as deleted scenes go, the very first one we get, we have them completing the ethics questionnaire that Holly handed out, just like at the beginning of the normal episode. But Jim goes over to Dwight to pretend to cheat because 
it's a test, but it's not really a test. Dwight says, you know, it's an ethics questionnaire. Like, what are you trying to do? And Jim says, yeah, I didn't study. And Dwight tries to tell on Jim to Holly, but Jim raises his hand first and says, Dwight is cheating. And Holly just gives them this incredulous look, like, come on, guys, you got to be kidding me. Creed explains that he has not been a totally ethical person. He committed some atrocities in Vietnam two years ago. Princess Cruise Lines. <laughs> you know, I, that's all. <laughs> I went to Google and I tried to find if there was some sort of incident with Princess Cruise Lines in Vietnam in 2006, when two years ago would have been. <laughs> and I couldn't find it. I wish there had been something. Yeah. But uh, it, it just didn't line up. So, oh, well. I can't even imagine what that would have been, but it's Creed. <laughs> we'll just let your imaginations run wild. <laughs> There's a deleted scene with Pam and her new friends at college or uh, at art school, and they're trying to cut class. And she's standing there with them, and she keeps looking at her watch because she's supposed to be getting ready to go to class or in class. And they joke about her being older. You know, you're, you're old enough to be my mom or you're old enough to be friends with my mom, which isn't true, but they're joking around because she is older. And they do convince her through joking with her to go with them to instead of going to class. And so I, I wanted to pose a question, even though it's a deleted scene, is this Pam being meek or is it being bold or is it maybe a little bit of both? I think it's more on the bold side for Pam because I think nice rule following Pam would have gone to class. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think she has a whole lot of friends in New York. And so, you know, the chance to go out maybe in the middle of the day and just kind of do something risky, dumb, whatever. She just doesn't get that opportunity a whole lot. I mean, she works for a paper company in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Her life is pretty safe. Mm -hmm. um, and this is just something a little out of the ordinary, a little fun that she doesn't get to do. So I think it's, I think it's more on the bold side. I agree. Um, and later, there's a later deleted scene where they went to a bar together. They shared a volcano, which is like a giant bowl of rum. Um, and Pam drinks most of it, and they have fun laughing at her and making fun of her being slightly drunk, and then she has a talking head about how much she loves New York, and so it does end up being a positive thing. But the, the only argument I really had for it being more of a meek decision is peer pressure. She was ready to go to class. She was antsy to go to class. She was looking at her watch as they were trying to make plans, and she went with them because they sort of teased her about being older, about being more of a stickler for or, or stickler to the rules, um, and so the meek argument was her giving into peer pressure and going with them. So yeah, that, that was just sort of the argument I had in my head. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, there is a whole couple, like a whole storyline of deleted scenes regarding Ryan and Kevin. I love this one. Um, Ryan reveals in the ethics training, um, in the deleted scenes that he broke, um, the mirror on a car back when he was, you know, the old Ryan uh, making reckless choices. Kevin brought it to Ryan's attention that that was his car. So Ryan tries to down talk it by blaming it on the guy that he used to be. He, uh, he says, you know what? Now I'm Ryan 2.0. I can't take responsibility for what the old Ryan did, which is just such crazy logic. Kevin asks, so you're not going to pay for my mirror. Ryan says, if I have to answer for everything that guy did, I'd, I'd never move on. So later, Kevin bakes or toasts Ryan's sunglasses in the toaster oven. And 
when Ryan confronts him, he says, hey, I can't take responsibility for Kevin 1.0. So I know it's great. It's um, <laughs> really, really well done for Kevin. Um, that's sort of a, a eye for an eye situation. And what crazy backwards logic, like take responsibility for your actions, please. Right. That, that's my favorite part about that whole exchange is that in that, that second scene, uh, when Kevin does confront him in the kitchen about it, uh, Ryan says, that guy, past Ryan 1.0, that guy took no responsibility for his actions. And here, Ryan is using that excuse to not take uh, responsibility for his actions. And he talks yeah. in circles, and, and at, at the, the end, end of that deleted scene, Kevin, Kevin looks pretty confused. confused. He, he appears confused. And Ryan, Ryan thinks he's won, but we see how much Kevin, Kevin understood and how much Kevin, Kevin uses that against him in that last deleted scene. But I couldn't help but wonder what if Kevin had started a fire with those sunglasses in the toaster oven and he had become the fire guy. That would have just been a, an interesting turn. But There would have been no, no more fired guy jokes um, from Kevin, I think. <laughs> there is a deleted scene that made me say, holy crap, at the end of it. It, it doesn't really mean yep. anything in the, the grand scheme of things. But I could not believe this. Phyllis has a talking head confessing to a time during her honeymoon with Bob in Africa. They were on a safari and he'd been drinking late at night and they hit something in their van. So instead of getting out and investigating, they were a little scared. They kept driving. They went to the airport, bribed the airline and then flew home that night. And, you know, we initially would think, Oh, it's a safari in Africa. It was late at night. You probably just hit an animal and felt guilty about it and made it up to be bigger in your head than it actually was. But then she says to herself, to close off this talking head, you know, maybe it was just an ostrich wearing a soccer uniform. And I thought, holy crap, Phyllis <sighs> and Bob killed a, killed a kid. Like, no way. <laughs> I mean, there's still, I, I still got fingers crossed for hallucinating too much alcohol, imagining things, <laughs> but... I mean, ostrich wearing a soccer uniform is pretty incriminating. And we've had this discussion before, but here's where I want to say that deleted scenes don't count. <laughs> I mean, she's crying during this talking head. It's super intense, but I can't. I mean, we know Phyllis has some like secrets, but this holy crap is a secret. Yeah. <laughs> um, so oh, yikes. Um yeah, take it or leave it. Uh, that's in the deleted scenes. <laughs> so whether or not you think that counts. <laughs> Meredith is the supplier relations representative, right? And she's talking with Michael about how, you know, I can't lose this job because I have no other skill set. She says, I can't type. I'm bad on the phone. I have no people skills. And so here I am thinking, you have no skill set for your current job. And that goes back to Michael in the episode saying, I can't let my employees think that their job here depends on their performance. Well, it darn well should if the, your supplier relations person has no people skills or phone skills. And that's also how jobs work, yeah. is that they depend on your performance. Um, mm -hmm. I think without exception, that's how they work. And, and she asks, you know, what other job will let me arrive at 11 and leave at 4? That raises an eyebrow for Michael. What are you, what are you saying? <laughs> And then she says she misses Toby, and Michael doesn't like that at all. Any others you wanted to mention? One more, uh, just because speaking of Toby, 
He calls Dunder Mifflin to apparently return Michael's call. Michael denies it to Ryan, who answered the phone at reception. Uh, and so talking to Toby, Michael says, you know, you didn't teach Holly everything, like the certain amount of wiggle room in reporting infractions. And so Michael explains to Toby what's happening with Meredith, the whole situation. And Toby says, yeah, A, Holly needs to report it, and B, now I have a duty to report it as well. And Michael's like, well, sick of that, and hangs off the phone. <laughs> he, When they first start talking, Michael says, yeah, I forgot how annoying your voice was or something to that effect. How dumb your voice sounds or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think that's right. We also, we did get a commentary on this episode, and I watched the whole thing, and it was very unusual for a commentary. So, as you know, they'll normally have cast members or directors. Um, they've even had crew guys, uh, camera, boom, etc. But today, not today, <laughs> for this commentary, <laughs> they had... Uh, catering and craft services. Craft services are the people that do snacks, essentially. Catering does um, the main meals. Craft services does in-between. They had four guys on from catering and craft services. And they essentially only talked about what the cast ate, like, member by member. They talked about how, you know, Steve Carell has been eating healthier and um, Jenna likes scrambled eggs. It was just... In, I mean, it was fun to listen to, I guess, but there wasn't a whole lot to actually talk about. Um, it was nice that they knew everyone's breakfast and lunch order by heart, <laughs> specifically like, oh, you know, John Krasinski eats eggs with um, egg whites with tomato and spinach or something. And they knew what everyone had every day. So that was pretty cool that they cared about everyone enough to, to memorize their orders. But other than that, I don't know what else to say. Um, give it a watch if you want. But that's kind of what I want to say on that. <laughs> well, well, as, as far, far as discussion, discussion topic, topic goes, you said earlier you didn't want to imagine yourself in Meredith's shoes, but uh, sorry. If you <laughs> I'm worked, going to. <laughs> <laughs> if you worked for Dunder Mifflin as the supplier relations representative, what would you be willing to do, ethical or not, for a discount <laughs> on incoming paper products? <laughs> I almost made a joke like, I don't know, what does Bruce look like? But that's not true. <laughs> that's a bad joke. And I'm sorry. Oh, that is great. <laughs> what would I be willing to do for discounts on paper products? Like, okay, so if doing my job means I get paper products at, you know, regular prices, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> if it's on like the personal level, like outside of work. I don't know that I would care enough about a paper salesman job to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> Is that wrong? <laughs> no, like, no. Because it doesn't, that's horrible and selfish, but it doesn't benefit me mm -hmm. at all. <laughs> it helps the company, <laughs> which is great. But me as Meredith, um, she's not even a salesman. So she doesn't get benefits. She doesn't get um, compensation directly from the sales. Right. So... So we'd have to find some sort of state coupon situation, is what you're saying. Oh, it'd be a state. Oh, yeah. For state coupons, what would I do? Um, I'd wash some cars. I'd um, babysit some kids. You need a date night. I got your kids. Right. I, for steak, I would do I, I would do some more stuff. Bruce is still out of the question, but um, some personal errands and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Bruce? <laughs> yeah, Bruce. I don't know if I have any real answer for this. I just thought it was a fun question to ask. <laughs> um, but 
that's pretty funny. Yeah, maybe some like light gambling, like let's play yeah. Mario Kart, <laughs> and whoever wins Mario Kart gets the discount. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that's about as far as I'm willing to go. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> you're you're helping out Dunder Mifflin more than I am because I right. don't. I'm not. I'm not helping. <laughs> Sorry. You you hired Ryan back, so clearly your uh, ethics yeah. are skewed anyway. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't deserve the discount. So we're moving on to episode two of this discussion, episode four in season five, Baby Shower. It aired on October 16th, 2008, directed by Greg Daniels, written by Aaron Shore. Now, this is not a relation to Michael Schur, uh, spelt the same way with an E at the end, different, different guys. Michael is preparing to go to the hospital with Jan when she gives birth to her baby who, as a reminder, is not related to Michael in any form or fashion. To celebrate the coming birth, Michael has the party planning committee plan a baby shower for Jan, only for a no longer pregnant Jan to show up with an already born baby girl named Astrid. Michael tries to form a relationship with baby Astrid and Jan while giving Holly the cold shoulder so as not to damage Jan's feelings. But which relationship is more important to Michael in the end? Dun, dun, dun. Boom, boom. Tune in next week. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, again, two episodes in a row, things are tense with Holly. But he did warn Holly, I guess, on this one. He said, you know what? Jan's coming in. She has bloated feelings, I think think he says. (laughs) She's in the terminal stages of pregnancy. Not what he meant, I think. She's not dying. (laughs) But he says, you know what, I'm going to be a little cold to you to preserve Jan's feelings, I guess, which I don't quite understand. But I guess he understands that Jan is unstable at best and uh, can't handle Michael really having any relationship with anybody else. So, yeah, I guess that makes sense. I I guess so. (laughs) Um, Holly's flattered at first. You know, he says, you're you being one of the more attractive people in the office. I feel like I should put you down and bring Jan up so that her on in her hormonal pregnant state uh, doesn't feel so uh, inferior, I suppose. And so she's flattered at first, but I don't think she feels the same later when it actually happens. Um, at the start of the episode, Michael and Dwight are practicing giving birth, Dwight to a uh, watermelon. And uh, Jim rightly points out that Michael's issue with this whole Jan's baby situation is that he's delusional. His ex is having a baby from someone who is not him. There's no obligation. It's embarrassing. It's the worst. And Michael, I don't know what has him so latched on to this baby aside from the want for a family of his own. But again, this is not his family and it will never be his family. So that that little family tree graph that that Jim draws pointing out that Uh, They're connected only by delusion is one of my favorite things because, man, is it true. (laughs) Yeah, I had that written down in my funny moments. It's essentially two trees. It was Jan and and the sperm donor Mm. have a baby. And then separately, (laughs) Michael and Dwight are having a watermelon baby. So Michael (laughs) will be connected to the baby through, and he draws a big question mark, (laughs) through delusion. Delusion. (laughs) They are not related. At all. He knows a woman who had a baby or is who, yes, he now has had the baby uh, as she's no longer pregnant and has failed to tell Michael. 
Yeah, he, he tries to argue in a talking head that he will love this baby that is not biologically his, just like the tiger, tiger cub being nursed by the dog. But then he weakens that argument. You think that's sort of like a, oh, that's a cute video kind of situation. But he weakens his argument by calling that video bizarre and unnatural. Like, I don't know, just throwing this out there. <laughs> like caring for a baby that's not yours from a woman you're not close to. In any way more than being like, I love babies. That's a great baby. And you're like, yeah, yeah babies are great. Anything past that is just not cool. <laughs> In fact, he, he does talk about how much he loves babies and how much they love him. He tries to hold one every day because it nourishes him and he's, he's good with them. But, you know, once Jan has shown up and the baby is born and Michael wants to have this moment with the baby... She says, yeah, you can hold it. You can hold Astrid. Oh, but leave her in the carrier because, you know, I don't I still don't trust you. So Jan will give him a chance. And um, I don't know that that bothers me, too. I I don't exactly blame Jan for not telling Michael about giving birth. I I get that he's a stressful person to be around. And I I don't think I would want him around in that sort of situation either. But to not allow him to even properly hold Astrid. After all the helping he's been doing and the interest he's shown in being a part of the baby's life, if you don't want him to be a part of Astrid's life, then tell him that and stay away from him. But she's sort of leading him on in a way. Yeah, Jan, while in some ways she seems more, I mean, very, very slightly more together and more stable, (laughs) she's also not at all. I mean, we see her, first of all, at a place that she shouldn't even be. She's not with Michael anymore. Why is she at Dunder Mifflin Scranton? Like, besides Michael being nice and trying to throw this baby shower for her, which she really shouldn't have accepted. I don't know. It's just weird. And then she lays down on the couch and takes a nap. And it's just all very assuming. She's just very... Mm-hmm. It's still her place of work. She is still the boss there in her heart. And actually had written down that because we see that a number of times since she was fired from Dunder Mifflin. I forget the episodes on these, but there's an episode uh, since being fired where she makes Pam make copies for her. Mm -hmm. Um, She sent out an email not too long ago to the entire office staff, ensuring them that Michael was not the father of the baby. Why are you sending office emails if you're not a member of the office? Like she's just very entitled to this office, Mm -hmm. including in this episode, snoring on the couch next to reception so definitely not stable yet. Jan is still <laughs> off. Yeah, and further displaying that she's off in some capacity, she sings to Astrid, which, oh, sweet, your mom's singing to the baby. She sings Son of a Preacher Man by Dusty Springfield, uh, which, as Jim points out, is about losing your virginity next to a church. She sings it nonstop for 20 minutes. And we know that it's the same song over and over and over again, because Jim goes off, makes a phone call to Pam, and comes back, and she's still singing the same song. So I don't know what the attachment to the song is. I don't know who asked her to sing. I'm going to assume nobody, because <laughs> it's awkward. But here she is singing, like, full-fledged singing, not soft mommy voice singing either. It's let's, let's put on a show choir performance and jazz hands and all that, showing everybody how talented a mother I am that I can sing to my child and... I'm already skinny because I only gained 12 pounds and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, she seems like the kind that if she can fit it into the conversation at all, how well she's doing, she's going to do that. Because she only gained 12 pounds in her pregnancy and she happens to be a good singer. So she's going to sing because there's a baby that will listen and everyone else has to now. (laughs) Um, And it's just 
she just likes to be the center of attention. And since she can't hold their attention as uh, a member of corporate, she holds it as a mom now. She just needs to be that spotlight. Eventually, Jan does yield and let Michael hold Astrid. Uh, because he he gets upset you know this was a once in a lifetime thing i should have been there i wanted to be there how about you hold astrid he says oh cool yes great let's do that and after this talk earlier where he's saying you know i love holding babies it nourishes me he picks up astrid and feels nothing in fact as soon as he picks astrid up he sort of wants to get rid of her immediately uh, calls over phyllis and hands over astrid to phyllis and i think that automatically says a lot I mean, it, it does say a lot because Michael was so eager to have this baby in his arms and reaching out to his ex-girlfriend who th- they ended on pretty bad terms. But for that baby to not make him feel a thing when he held her, that just shows that that shouldn't have happened in the first place. Especially given the montage of Michael holding various babies. Once again, we see how good he is with kids mm-hmm. that he's just... There's that one really cute one where, like, the baby won't go back to its mom because it's just having so much fun with Michael. It's cute. Like, he's good with kids. He loves kids. And Astrid's not his kid. And he feels less connection to Astrid than to a stranger's kid. Um, And he even goes down to Daryl in the warehouse and tries to get some advice on it. Because you're a dad. Um, Why am I not feeling attached to Jan's kid and Daryl's like well because you're not its father like when it's your kid you'll feel attached to it um Michael of course keeps calling himself a baby daddy Daryl says you gotta stop that (laughs) Michael says is it because I'm quote white he says no it's because you're not a baby daddy (laughs) right (laughs) like you can't you're not um so yeah Michael is just not feeling the attachment at all which hopefully will help the separation that needs to happen between this non-bond, this non-relationship between Michael and Astrid. Not to be confused with Astrid. Right, yeah. That's a completely different person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Holly, you know, despite being given the cold shoulder by Michael and being called weird and being treated pretty poorly the whole episode, she does take everything pretty well in stride. She was warned after all, so thanks, Michael, for that. Uh, She does try and form a connection and sort of joke around with Jan a little bit, though. Uh, She approaches her sleeping on the the couch at reception. And Jan is not even remotely interested in Holly or her jokes. She jokes about Astrid being on a sales call, then jokes that she's on a coffee break. And Jan says, oh, yeah, that's funny. Clearly not amused. And so she says, oh, she's over there with Angela. And that's that. And that leads... Jan later, I I mean, I don't know exactly what Jan's beef with Holly is, but it's enough of a beef that when she's saying goodbye to Michael in the parking lot, she says, you can do one more thing for me. Don't date Holly. And I don't know. I, I, I don't know what her what she's trying to accomplish here. I mean, for one, get out of his personal life if you won't let him in yours. Uh, but number two, uh, like do you really think she doesn't want Michael to date Holly or, and and this is a slim chance of this being the case, but do you think it's almost like a noble thing? Like she sees how similar they are, how they have similar senses of humor. And by telling Michael not to date her, it's sort of a reverse psychology thing. You know, you go back to um, Christmas party in season two, where Michael says reverse psychology is this awesome thing where you trick somebody into doing something stupid. 
And so I don't know if Jan is maybe slightly trying to accomplish that, but I, I, I don't think that's the case. I think she just has it out for Holly for some reason and thinks she has enough of a hold on Michael to uh, convince him to not date this person. I don't want to delve too much into it because um, that is my discussion topic today, but (laughs) we didn't touch on it specifically yet, but I don't want to uh, get there. But yeah, I have, I have thoughts on this. Uh, We'll we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, we'll get back to it. Uh, Any other character moments? Not a whole lot, except that I wanted to touch on Jim and Pam here. They just are having an off day, off week. I guess it's just a day. This just takes place over a day. But they keep missing each other's calls. Um, They're not connecting literally and (laughs) spiritually. I don't know the word I'm looking for. (laughs) They're just not (laughs) connecting. Um, They barely have time to talk and catch up. There's even a point where it looks like they just missed each other. She called him and he called her almost at the same time and they got each other's voicemails. And so they're just not, they're not connecting. And they said, you know what? It's okay. Even in Scranton, we would have days like this. Everyone has them. Just, we're just not, just not working out. So not a whole lot there just to uh, note that that's kind of where they are right now. Yeah. I think it's just still a struggle being apart from each other, especially now that they're engaged, which which is sort of what they wanted to avoid in the first place. Uh, But it was just as much a struggle not being engaged. And so they can't even have like a private phone call in the office. You know, Dwight is uh, eavesdropping and everyone else is just being obnoxious. There's one point where Jim turns away from Dwight because he's trying to get into the conversation. And there's Creed like wrapping his foot in some sort of bandage uh, right next to Jim's desk. And so he doesn't want to see that either. And so he turns back around. And there's later when he has a conversation or tries to talk with her while she's at the laundromat and they can't hear each other. So when they do talk to each other in the voicemails there at the end and we see both conversations, it shows to me how good a match they are for each other because they're thinking the same things right in step with each other. They're remembering the same memories. They're talking about how much, how much they miss each other. Um, so yeah, I think they're still struggling with the distance. Um, it is an off day, but it, it's just it's tough being that separated from somebody you care about. That episode, um, just for Jim and Pam, always makes me like, oh, I kind of hate it because um, that bit where Pam is trying to tell Jim her story about Sarah Kaya Combsen and um, <laughs> Jim's just not understanding and she's in a rush. And I mean, like personally, I did I was in a long distance relationship for like two and a half years Uh, which was a super long time and it's awful and I didn't like it. And it's like, it's just, you just don't, there's only so much you can say on the phone. You gotta be with a person to like, I don't know. And so like, just to connect, you don't have to say anything in person, but you have to say something on the phone. And that's always just such a uncomfortable, like you have those days all the time. And that's like a real life problem that the office tackled, which I really like. One more character moment for me. Um, Phyllis, because we did mention her blackmailing Angela. That is still continuing. Uh, but she's struggling to be the head of the party planning committee a little bit, um, especially for a party like this where it's for a baby and a person that nobody cares about. So Angela is under her control, but she's still judging as Angela is wont to do. Uh, she does talk about how great it is not being under Angela's heel instead with uh, Angela's great head under hers, her heel. Uh, but then right after that, Michael interrupts her talking head and tells her to get back to work. So it's like, she's got another person 
uh, whose heel is on top of her. And it's Michael in this case, uh, because he's so passionate for some reason about Jan's party going well. Oh, and it just occurred to me, we didn't even mention the big event that happens at the very end of this episode between Michael and Holly. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe we almost missed that one. <laughs> Which honestly, and this is kind of embarrassing with the number of times I've seen The Office, but I kind of, like, I always got it, but I kind of didn't get it, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. it was so, well, we should talk about what it was first. So, <laughs> <laughs> after Jan leaves um, and asks Michael not to date Holly, Michael goes upstairs and sees Holly, and Holly says, are you done being mean to me? Are you going to be nice to me now? And Michael responds by giving her a big hug, and we see Holly kind of smile, and he says, do you want to go out? That's just, he just puts it right out there. But he says it so quietly, and it's so, like, there's no buildup. There's no Michael drama that we kind of expect to go into it. He just says, you want to go out with me? But I always kind of missed it mm-hmm. until I watched with the captions. I, it never hit me really what he was saying, mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't really make sense, but that's what it was. So, yeah, small moment, but a big moment at the same time. Right. Well, it harkens back to his scene with Daryl where he's talk- Daryl says, you know, if you hold this bag that's sitting next to me, are you going to feel any sort of connection to that? What about that guy over there? Are you, are you going to feel any connection to his kid? Well, it's the same with Astrid. That's not a kid that you have any connection to. Do you want to hold me and see how you feel about that? And Dar- uh, Michael says, can I? <laughs> Daryl says, no. But that's exactly what Michael's doing here is he approaches Holly and more than a hug, I think. It's let's see how Holly feels in my arms. Astrid didn't feel all that great, but man, Holly feels pretty good. And so with Astrid not being all that he thought she was going to be, with Jan saying don't date Holly, and this whole time them almost butting heads in a certain way, but them both sort of pining after each other, for Michael to say, okay, now is the moment. We've gone through the the beginner stages. I'm ready to pursue a relationship with this woman because she feels right in my arms. And that's such a great moment for those two characters. And I love that we ended on that. Yeah, it's... um a nice end to an awkward two episodes for them. I'm I'm glad that we were able to pair those two together in this uh, episode for us. Yeah, it worked out really well. Now, what made us laugh in this episode? Of course, the cold open with Dwight um, giving <laughs> birth to a watermelon, which he's so excited to be able to help Michael with this. Michael's being sweet and unnecessary in, um, you know, trying to prepare for the birth of Jan's baby, which has already happened, that he thinks he's going to be in the delivery room for some reason, uh, which he's not going to be with his ex-girlfriend whose baby he is not having. So Dwight is for some reason pregnant with this watermelon and um, (laughs) starts pissing Michael off. So Michael says, Andy, Andy, you can have my baby instead. And it just becomes this, like, office-wide scream fest. Dwight eventually does give birth to this watermelon, which he has covered in butter because newborns are slippery. <laughs> Ugh. Michael drops it, and then they eat the watermelon. And Michael says, it's going to be the best day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of thoughts. I, yeah. yeah. Uh, just a couple small things off of that, that cold open. Dwight is pantsless and carrying a water, around a watermelon under, like, an apron. Uh, and he claims that babies are an expertise of his. He apparently performed his own circumcision. I'm not going to ask questions about that. No. Uh, <laughs> and then 
probably my favorite moment of that whole thing isn't Michael or Dwight at all, but it's Creed staring on and he looks to be in tears as if it's a beautiful thing <laughs> that he's witnessing an actual miracle of birth. Um, <laughs> it's it's the smallest little thing. But Creed's like, oh man, that, that's so so precious, so beautiful. Kind of choked <laughs> up. I love the butter. I think it's a great mm-hmm great touch as if michael would be the one to like catch the baby as it comes out like it's gonna shoot out (laughs) oh and the idea of having to mark your baby too (laughs) oh yes of course um (laughs) as if it's just gonna get like thrown in with just random babies and you have to like pick it like it's just or is he afraid of theft i don't know like it's just a lot of dwight questions really (laughs) yeah and if you look at the the watermelon itself the mark that he put on there is like Michael's uh, monogram. You see the the MGC yeah. or MGS. Yeah. I think there's two, and there's like a scribble of something else as mm-hmm. well. But yeah, great cold open. Um, one of the more memorable ones, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's also when Michael is getting onto Phyllis for not putting together a better baby shower. He says, "If I remember correctly, we put on your wedding shower here. We gave you a golden shower. Where's my golden shower?" And I just wrote in my notes please stop <laughs> because that does not mean <laughs> what you think it means. And I'm not going to delve into it here any further. <laughs> it's a different thing, Michael. <laughs> we actually did cover several of mine in our topic. And we, as you said, we don't mention flukes on our show a lot, but I didn't realize um, in the past until I watched this episode prepping for here that the baby that they use a lot of times um so sometimes use a real baby and sometimes use a doll. And I know that they use a doll a lot of times, but there were some, uh, some shots where it was just like the doll's face. It was like Michael holding what was clearly a doll. Um, and I never noticed that. And it just made me laugh. Um, <laughs> not necessarily a funny moment for the characters, but usually they'll, they'll use a doll when it's like, when you don't see the baby's face, but there were a few moments where I was like, dear Lord, that baby's not blinking. (laughs) It's just a little unnerving. Uh, Michael says he thinks babies like him because they see him as one of them with his life put together a little bit. And then he has this goldmine of a quote. If a baby were president, there would be no taxes. There would be no war. There would be no government. And, uh, Things could get terrible. It actually probably, it would be a better screenplay idea than a serious suggestion. I'm glad <laughs> he realizes that. He's not that. wrong. There would be no taxes <laughs> or war if the babies were in charge, but. There would also be no America either. <laughs> yeah. There, there wouldn't be a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is a very Angela scene where. While Jan is passed out, Angela has the baby and has dressed her entirely in fruits and vegetables and is taking photos of the baby. Like, it's just weird, uh, <laughs> but it's very Angela. We've seen the babies dressed as jazz musicians poster slash T-shirt. So <laughs> this is right up her alley. Um, she really likes babies dressed in miscellany. So, uh, yeah, um, it was just more than a funny moment it was just more of like yeah that makes sense of course she would steal the baby and dress it in vegetables Uh, the office pulls together their money to get jan uh, a stroller for the baby but because she already had the baby she already has a stroller and it's a much nicer stroller they reveal it cost twelve hundred dollars and dwight is astounded he says you know i built my bomb shelter for that much 
which I wrote. I mean, I'm not sure if Scranton, Pennsylvania has much in need for bomb shelters, <laughs> but you never know, I suppose. But okay. <laughs> uh, and so he goes out to test it to see if it's as indestructible as he thinks it should be and puts it through all kinds of tests, including pushing it off curbs, pushing it into the, the street, dragging it behind his car and hitting the brake so it slams into his back bumper, all kinds of things. And uh, I guess it passes his test. I don't know. But, you know, even if it does, that that uh, stroller is going to show a lot more wear and tear than it did when Jan first showed up with it. Maybe the last one for me, uh, I just wanted to point out again that Astard <laughs> is just one of the better uh, mishearings of the name Astard that I could think of when they think it's going to be a baby shower and not a see the baby shower. Um, they have the M&M buckets, you know, a girl's bucket and a boy's bucket. The boy's M&M bucket name, I'm not explaining this well, but if you've seen the episode, you know what I mean, uh, says Chevy. That's the name that Michael picked out for the baby because apparently he gets to name the baby if it's a boy and it's not his baby, but that's fine. And the, the name that Jan supposedly picked out was Astard. And everyone else seems to kind of understand that this is not a very beautiful name, but Michael is just so in love with the idea of this baby that he's like, <laughs> yes, it is beautiful. I love it. But of course, it's Astrid. Just a couple small ones. Stanley is complaining about the pregnant Jan, com- Jan coming to the office. Uh, he says, you know, what's so special about pregnant women? I have the same complaints. I have varicose veins, swollen ankles. My nipples get sore. And I need to know about the fastest route to the hospital, too. So Stanley identifies with pregnant women. And then uh, something I don't know if I noticed before, not necessarily a funny thing, but they have crafted Jan a sort of sticky note throne to sit in during uh, the shower in the conference room scene. It's just this elaborate sticky notes everywhere, which I thought was sort of a funny follow-up to business ethics where they talked about stealing company property. Uh, I, I don't know if that would... It certainly wouldn't, especially since it's not a company employee they're throwing this party for in the first place. But crafty, I suppose. Any others for you? Nope. Let's talk deleted scenes. Michael and White... Um are going through Michael's go bag, which Michael has packed for the birth of the baby. Um, he wants to make sure he has everything at his fingertips. So he has packed according to the 1986 copy of what to expect when you're expecting. Uh, items include a pager, dimes for the payphone, and a Walkman. Of course, Dwight has added some of his own items um, I, I believe including a sword or a knife uh, to perform circumcision. circumcision. Yes, lots yeah. of circumcision in this episode, um, but that's that's fine. <laughs> uh, love that deleted scene. Yeah, my favorite part, you know, it, it's the pager, the dimes for the payphone, film for camera, and this uh, yeah. is the year 2008. And literally everything is replaceable and outdated by a cell phone, even in 2008. A cell phone. Yeah. I mean, that's a year after the iPhone came out. So, yeah, all of those things, Walkman included, they they fit into a phone. Uh, but then there was also a nightgown mentioned. Michael says, I don't know what need I would have for that. Well, certainly not the one they picked out. He, Dwight holds <laughs> it up. It's like a lacy blue nightgown, you know, just like you yeah. normally wear to bed. <laughs> yeah, it's lingerie, essentially. They yeah. packed. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned the, the baby names. And in the deleted scene, it's the very first one, Jan won't tell Michael the gender of the baby, but she said that he can pick out a boy name. And what that says 
is that she knew it was going to be a girl. And so by letting Michael pick the boy name, then it, it, it's no harm, no foul, because she knew it wasn't going to be a boy, so Michael gets to pick the boy name just in case, quote-unquote, it's a boy. So I thought that was pretty funny. I, I lost you. Okay, everybody, so Katie is having some computer issues, so I'm going to try and finish this up by myself. I'm just going to list a couple more deleted scenes. There is Holly having a talking head about how she's starting to get a feel for what it was like for Toby to work there. Then Toby speaks up from the speakerphone, and he says, Yeah, it was terrible, uh, and I'm happier to be stuck in a Costa Rican hospital. Because remember back in uh, the last episode, well, not the last episode from here, the first episode of season Five that we talked about last episode of the podcast. We find out that he had a zip lining accident and broke his neck, basically. So he has been stuck in a Costa Rican hospital. But then he follows up and says, yeah, but not really. It, I, I would still rather be at Dunder Mifflin. Um, then there's the whole possibility that Kevin, Kevin Malone, yes, that Kevin, might be Astrid's father. Um, so the look on Jan's face when he suggests this. First, she says, yeah, there's no way. There's no way. But then Kevin says, yeah, I've donated sperm, and it's at the one next to the IHOP, right? And Jan's face when she realizes that, yeah, that's the sperm bank I went to. That's the one that got me pregnant. Uh, But she says, no, no. I I paid for an ideal specimen. And Oscar questions, are you saying that Kevin's not an ideal specimen? And then she has her own talking head. She says, there's no way the child is Kevin's. She, I, I don't know what I'd do if it was Kevin's, if I found out somehow that it was. Would I sue? And then she pauses a moment and she finishes aside. Uh, that's not funny, certainly. I, I don't like joking about suicide. But uh, it is the, the whole idea that Kevin might. I mean, slim chance. But there is a possibility that Kevin Malone is the father of Jan Levinson's baby uh, let's see what other ones I want to talk about I, I do have a pretty not lengthy list but I have a few more um, Jim and Michael have a conversation about you know hey Jim what did you think about Astrid um, you know this was supposed to be the happiest day of Michael's life and Jim says yes meeting your baby Michael would have been the happiest day of your life but Michael just keeps going and says, you know, what is up with that baby? He just can't wrap his head around the fact that this is not his baby. He has no personal connection to the baby. And so, I, I don't know. He, he just can't figure things out. Smaller, funnier deleted scene. Kevin, Phyllis, and Kelly are looking down at what we assume is Astrid because they're asking, you know, should we lay her on her back or her stomach? And they think stomach because they're not that way she doesn't choke on her own vomit. And the camera zooms out and it's not... Uh, Astrid laying on the ground or laying below them. It is Meredith passed out on the ground. There was an earlier deleted scene where they were filling up baby bottles for everybody to drink from. And Meredith was filling hers with vodka and orange juice instead of just orange juice like everybody else. So the alcoholism is still strong with her. Jan openly breastfeeds next to reception, which we saw with Hannah back in season three when we had the merger with uh, Stamford and and the Scranton branches. But at least Hannah was somewhat discreet. Um, Jan is not hiding anything. She's just basically dropped her tro- dropped her top, breasts out, uh, and is feeding Astrid. And Kev- Kevin comes over to try and 
hey, Jan, what's going on with you? Have a discreet conversation, occasionally glancing over to catch a peek. And Jan says, you know what? Just stare. I don't care. It's natural. It's the most natural thing in the world. It's not erotic at all. Kevin says, really? Sure, Kevin, just, just stare. It's not a big deal to me. I don't, it doesn't bother me. So Kevin stands and just stares for a minute. And Creed comes along from across the office and joins Kevin to stare at, at uh, Jan breastfeeding. And sure enough, Jan does grow uncomfortable and calls for Michael. That's all of that as far as that deleted scene goes. There is a lot of additional stroller test scenes from uh, Dwight. And lastly, there is an extended version of the scene where Michael says goodbye to Jan at her car. He asks for a moment to a moment with Astrid in Jan's car, and he gives her a plushy Dundee that was made by Phyllis. It's amazing. I, I want one of these, honestly, a plushy Dundee. And he talks with her. It's this really sweet moment. He says, you know, I won't be living with your mother, and we won't be having a relationship. But I grew up with an absentee father. And we learned about we've learned a little bit about that and about his relationship with his stepdad. And he, you know, he says, I think I turned out okay. And so we, we've seen some ways in which that Michael's father's absence did not contribute to his well-being as an adult, but still, it is a sweet statement. And so that's all the deleted scenes I made note of. Again, we're sorry that Katie, uh, she, her computer sort of just died on her, which is really awful, and hopefully we get that, she gets that fixed soon just for her own personal stuff uh, beyond podcasting. But I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. So... This is the end of the official 40th episode of An American Workplace. Thank you all again for your support. 40 is a big number, and we're awfully proud to have made it this far. If you want to contact us, you can contact on facebook.com slash workplacepod and at workplacepod on Twitter. Please consider going over to iTunes, rating, reviewing, subscribing. Don't forget you can also do that on uh, Facebook. We have a Facebook page for the show um, that you can rate as well as uh, what else? We're on Spotify. So consider those places for sharing to others. And if you have feedback feedback or ideas, you can email workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find Katie on Twitter at ktlady623 or facebook.com slash katie.white. The best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A and facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And I do have my other podcast, Cinescope, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them. You can find that where other podcasts can be found and also at thecinescopepodcast.com. Show notes and contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. And we do want to shout out to Kenneth for being our newest Patreon subscriber. Thank you, Kenneth, for subscribing to the show. If you... A random listener want to have a shout out of your own and if you want to have more of the podcast each week including access to our discussion outline and notes where we sort of throw everything together before we record a logo sticker which again those will be going out once we have a few more subscribers so i'm not just paying cheap postage or expensive postage for just a few uh, bonus episodes, we record those every week, although this week is a little bit up in the air until Katie gets her computer working. And then live streams. This show has been broadcast on YouTube for our Patreon subscribers, and so you will be able to check that out. So if you're interested in those things, go to our Patreon page. It is patreon.com slash workplacepod, and you can pick a support level that you think is worth it for you. And that is all for this week. 
Thank you all for joining us for this uh, supersized episode of An American Workplace to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 40. Make sure to join us in episode 41 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season five, Crime Aid and Employee Transfer. Bye. Bye.